It has contributed to the rise and fall of civilizations, from people who have spent their lives searching for it to today's modern conveniences. Every single one of us is a stakeholder in it. G'day, and welcome to Humans of Agriculture. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and welcome to episode seven. Once again, thanks for listening. If you were given an offer of $200,000 to pack up your life and move to the USA to kickstart your business, would you? Well, that's the reality of today's guest. She packed up her life within 48 hours and committed everything. Today, we're jetting across to Los Angeles to chat with Veronica Phil, the founder of Grounded Foods. Grounded are a plant-based cheese business. Veronica is an economist who had a food and beverage marketing agency in Australia. With her husband, who's a fine dining chef, they create a pretty powerful couple. Veronica knew that plant-based was not just a trend. She knows that there will always be consumers looking for free from products. And it's their mix of skill set that opened up this opportunity. As dark as it may sound, Veronica realizes the economic opportunity in this sector. And she's here to make money while catering to what consumers are demanding. So Veronica, jumping into it now, you were part of an accelerator program last year and you decided to give something a crack at Global Table. Can you tell me a bit more about what that was? We'd only been in the program for about a month and they'd taught us how to pitch and everything. And I heard that this guy at the conference at Global Table was a VC that just specialised in plant-based. And so I thought, oh, I'll give my pitch a crack. And, and I immediately forgot it as soon as I went up to him. And I'm just, and I would have just fumbled. I'm just like, me economist, him fancy chef. We make vegan cheese, not shit. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. And, no, no fluffy stuff there. It's just straight to the point. And honestly, a week later, it was done deal. We had suddenly had $200,000 in the bank account and we were living in New York. Um, yeah, we were beside ourselves. And so how did Grounded come about? Obviously, as you said there, you're an economist by trade and your husband is a chef. So when did it all kind of start and, and come about? I had a food and beverage focused marketing agency back in Melbourne um, for several years and it was honestly just from working with my clients and seeing this trend bubbling away for plant-based cheese, not necessarily in Australia, but in the US I could see, and the UK, I could see it really taking off. And this is about four years ago. I kept saying to my clients that a lot of them had vegan brands and I was saying you should do plant-based cheese. It's going to go gangbusters. Um, and actually one of them just said to me, that's never going to be a thing. That's a stupid idea. Um, and eventually I just decided, you know what, I've got a pretty incredible R&D chef on my hands. I'll get him to make it. We'll do this ourselves. Um, and then it was, I got my partner to do some initial just test recipes. He put early incarnations of them on the menu at the restaurant. Didn't actually tell any of us that they were his recipes. He just started serving them to people as cheese. Took a year before anyone realised. Um, and yeah, so economist over here is like, what? Like this cheese that I've been eating wasn't cheese. What's it got in it? Potato or something and, you know, a splash of coconut oil. It was crazy what it created. And I just thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is, he doesn't realise what he's done here. This is insane. There's no, no allergens in it. It's low fat, 
like it's it's just made out of cauliflower offcuts and yeah just crazy uh, so that's how it all started and then it was in the process of my partner pitching his next next restaurant to investors in los angeles um, that I decided, oh, just as a side business, I'll commercialise some of his plant-based recipes because they're really unique. Um, they're really, really interesting. And, you, you know, you don't have to be vegan to enjoy them. I'm sure there'll be a market for that. The cheese was one of them. Uh, so I included that in the restaurant pitch deck and just used it as a side revenue channel to support what would have inevitably be a horrible industry to be in. <laughs> being restaurants um, and every investor that we speak to just wanted to double down on the cheese they weren't none of them were interested in a restaurant at all they just offered us the first one offered us two million dollars to buy the cheese concept from us immediately um, and that's when yeah we took a step back and started thinking about it really seriously not necessarily as a, a little side business anymore but maybe something that we focus on 100 percent. and so I put in an application for the Mars Seeds of Change Accelerator, and we got into that, and everything changed from that moment. And so, had you ever been involved in one of these accelerator programs, or that was the first one jumping in with a big corporate? Yeah, that was the first one. I'm actually writing an article at the moment about corporate investment in startups because it's it's a big thing. And like the first thing you think, I was pretty skeptical at first. The first thing you think is that they just out there to take your IP. Um, and hey, maybe they are, but it's if it's a partnership that works for both, you know, for both companies and it's a step forward in terms of creating products that are more sustainable and more attractive to consumers than animal-based proteins, then maybe that's not a bad thing at all. Yeah, for sure. And so starting off with the idea, was it creating a, an animal-free product or were you looking more down the allergen path, creating products for people who can't enjoy the little things? Yeah, a, a bit of both because... I think the way that Sean and I work is that, you know, I've spent my whole career watching the market and predicting what consumers are going to want next. Um, and one thing I know is that they're always going to want free from products in some way, shape or form. Like they're always going to want something that's free from sugar, free from fat, the keto, you know, paleo, whatever the trend is that year. It's always going to be something. Um, and I thought, what if we just kept creating, you know, free from versions of the world's most popular foods and just kept going and going and going um, and stayed really flexible with it. So whatever the trend be, we just create the free from version. Um, that was like our original concept, more of a, an R&D lab. But the one thing we knew for sure is that plant-based wasn't a trend. Like that wasn't just something that was going to come and go as much as I think big dairy and meat companies would love for that to be the case it's not going anywhere anymore. And so we really realised that out of all of the different ideas that we had, you know, plant-based seafood, meats, all of these things, cheese seemed like the biggest potential, like the biggest market opportunity for us at that moment in time. No one had really cracked it yet with something super compelling. Um, and no one had really cracked it for not so much something that wasn't allergen-free, but just free of crap, but no chemicals and additives and a lot of the stuff that's on the market right now is honestly just blocks of coconut oil with flavorings and starch added to it um, but there's no nutritional value to that other than you know big block of fat we thought what if we can create something that's actually replacing some of that calcium the protein that you lose from dairy not only that but actually make it better with antioxidants fiber vitamins that kind of thing yeah cool and i think that is one area where 
I suppose the, the plant-based products are getting their sceptics. Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. It's the, I suppose it's the quickest argument to detract from plant-based yeah. is that on this, like, I think anyone, and, and I was chatting with Michael about it, I can put my hand up and say that I want to decrease my um, meat consumption because yeah. I'm selfish and I care about my health. But when it comes to this nutrition kind of barrier, like are these businesses just out there chasing a fad and how are they really kind of cutting through to provide a product that is better for people in a number of ways? And I, I mean, I always think of it from a marketer's perspective. I'm like playing devil's advocate. What would I say if I was working for a dairy company and saw a challenger brand like Grounded come up? I'd probably say, like, oh, yeah, well, you know, where's the nutritional value in that? You know, where's your calcium? Where's your protein? So that's why we've designed it in the way that we have so that we're immediately addressing that. Um, and I think even with the plant-based meat companies out there at the moment, a lot of them are now just starting to get a bit of flack from media for you know the not so clean ingredient lists that they contain but it it had to happen that way like it's a step forward at least and then i think the next generation will be refining that ingredient label but they had to make that step just to normalize it in the first place and make it tasty make it accessible to people just to get them on board in the first instance and so going down the path of cheeses is quite different to the plant-based products that are on the market now. Have you guys come across anyone else who's, I suppose, a potential collaborator for you that is doing something similar? In the cheese? Yeah, world? with cheese. We, we've not seen anyone in the world do a product like this before. And I think that's because that's what happens when you have someone who's not a food scientist or a food technician creating the product. It's when you've got you know, a fine dining chef coming at it from a completely different perspective. I was actually really shocked that no one had done this before. Like it, it, it made sense to us because obviously like cauliflower and cheese match made in heaven. Um, but when you look into the way that it's made, it's fermented cauliflower and that on its own just creates a product that's got a very, very similar quality in terms of umami, you know, that really intense funky flavor that cheese has, um, just beautiful consistency, texture. And then when we add hemp seed, as well that's what gives it the creamy mouthfeel that you get from cheese so for us it was all about like deconstructing all of those components that make cheese so addictive and so you know so satisfying and moorish to eat and why you keep shoving it into your mouth hole <laughs> <laughs> so we've we're focused on that rather than just creating something that looks like cheese which i think is where things are at at the moment like a lot of brands just make something that looks like the real thing but it doesn't quite i don't know it, because we're not vegan ourselves, we know what cheese tastes like and we haven't found anything in, until now that 
I guess, gave us a reason to buy a plant-based option instead of the real thing. So that's what we're trying to conquer. Okay. And so your, your drive is more around, uh, is it environmental or what's creating the product? Yeah, I just, I think it's as dark as it may sound, it's because I'm an economist. I inherently, I like efficiency. Um, I just don't see that there is a future in dairy production. It's so inefficient. And I mean, if you just look at the world events that have been happening over the last few years, it's like, how many more signs do we need that this is like, this is not the way forward? Um, it's not, you know, we need to be thinking about food security. We need to think, be thinking about making the supply chain less complicated and convoluted, not more so. Um, and then, you know, even thinking back to the Australian bushfires, like I felt like that was the last straw for Australian farmers. And then we're hit with COVID. Uh, but even before that, like they weren't being, I guess we weren't valuing our resources. Um, we, you know, we're buying milk for a dollar a litre. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, it's not necessarily about, uh, you know, ethics or saving animals for us. It's just that it, it's a broken system. There has to be a better way. Coming from a, an economics point of view, how do you guys weather the storm at the moment with, with where you're at? Are you, how are you guys positioned based off the current environment? Yeah, well, we, we launched our fundraising round literally an hour before I turned the TV on and saw that Wall Street had crashed. So it's like, uh, that is suboptimal timing. Um, <laughs> we were a bit nervous about that. Uh, but then you, you just got to think fast. I think if, yeah, if we're as scrappy a, a startup as we, we hope we are, then you just got to pivot and work out where the opportunities are in that situation. And I think we found them pretty quickly. Like the one thing people will still need on the other side of this is food. So it's, actually not the time to slow down. It's not the time to, you know, sit around and wait to see what happens. It's the time to double down, just <laughs> go even harder. Um, and I think that the move to, in this current environment, the move towards plant-based and locally sourced food will be, you know, accelerated faster than ever before. So for us, we figured we're actually at a really good position right now because at that exact moment that COVID all hit, we hadn't actually invested too heavily in anything. You know, we hadn't spent any money on equipment or staffing or anything like that. So all we've got to do to tread water is pay for rent and food for my partner and I, and that's all we need to do to sustain the company for now. Yeah, awesome. So sitting sitting pretty at the moment, a bit more R&D in the kitchen and then... Exactly. We've just like set up a new... We're in our apartment in West Hollywood at the moment. Um, Sean's just ordered, you know, equipment to put in here so that I can argue with him over kitchen bench space as usual. <laughs> and yeah, we, at the moment, we still do all of our own marketing and graphic design and photography and everything. So we just focus on the stuff that we can keep achieving while the world is on hold. We're operating in stealth mode. <laughs> and I do want to, so I'll touch on your marketing. So looking at a few of your products and not I've got to apologise. I wasn't even following you guys on social media until last night. No. I've been following on LinkedIn. Um, but your product and branding, it's very slick. It's black and basic. Is that That's obviously something very deliberate. Yeah, it's because at the start we realised, hey, no one's really done a, a sexy vegan brand or a sexy plant-based brand. Um, so 
yeah, we figured, hey, we'll fill the gap in that market. We're used to doing fine dining. You know, we're, my partner's very used to the beauty and the aesthetic of plating up meals and coming from that background. So we figured, what if we just applied that same approach to, yeah, a, a plant-based product line and made it, instead of, again, making it about um, the moral, you know, the moral aspect or the ethical aspect, just create a beautiful, I guess, lifestyle brand that people want to follow because they just love the brand, they love the products. The fact that it's vegan is, a, is an afterthought. The fact that it's sustainable is not really the first thing in their minds. They just like the product. And is it something in terms of price points, is it comparable to other cheeses out that are on the market now? Yeah, that's really important to us um, because again coming from that economic perspective if you're really going to change consumer behavior you can't have something that's double the price of dairy that's only ever going to appeal to a very very small um, you know and upper tier of the market so if we can create something that is really really low cost to manufacture and extremely scalable then finally we might be able to make an appealing you know a, an attractive plant-based option that people are happily, you know, they're happy to choose it over cheddar, I guess. So yeah. because we're using uh, imperfect vegetables and hemp seeds as our core ingredients of the product, it means that we can get those costs down really, really low and do something that's very, very scalable and actually pass that saving on to the consumer so we can compete with real dairy. I just want to take a step back now just to, because you're, I suppose, a, a no-bullshit kind of operator. You very much get involved in something and you give it a proper crack. But your um, your history of a few medical conditions and um, a few, I suppose, hiccups along the way have kind of given you a, a very different perspective to most. But what is it that makes you who you are, Veronica? Oh, yes. As I always used to say to people, that the best way to explain it is that I die a lot, um, which I've got... a quite an unusual autoimmune condition um, that in the past when it was not as controlled as it is now I'd just been living a life where an organ would fail you know consistently every fortnight I'd either have heart failure kidney failure or liver failure or some kind of something would go down um, and you just I don't know I've grown up like that all my life at some point you just realize that no one wants to hear you whinging about it anymore and so you just have to get <laughs> like nobody cares everyone's got something um and i'm probably the most unsympathetic person to speak to if someone's sick at this point i admit because it's just like yeah yeah get on with it i don't care <laughs> <laughs> but i yeah it's something that i used to hide a lot when i worked for other employers so i worked in government for about seven years and i would go to ridiculous lengths to hide my health condition. It wasn't until I left and started working for myself that I realised what an asset it was and that, you know, in, in trying to cover it up all the time, I'd actually created this work ethic where I kind of worked 10 times harder than everyone else to try and cover it up. And, you know, like I used to work from a hospital bed with three devices around me just trying to meet a deadline kind of thing. And I, I realised eventually that, wow, I've accidentally built up this incredible asset um, and it's something that I shouldn't be ashamed to mention anymore. Um, yeah, and look, fortunately for me over time, I, my conditions just improved quite remarkably and I think a lot of that is just be, being in control of my own 
you know, my own work life and be able to work my own hours and not having to fit into anyone else's schedule. I've been able to look after myself a lot better. So it's improved over time. And there's something about um, the, the business side of things, isn't there? That there's a real hunger in there because you're on a quest to, you, I saw an interview and I probably, sh- I really should, I'll reference it when I find it. I should know where it came from. It was a couple of years ago. So before all this started, I think. I think I know um, the interview. It would have been the chronic entrepreneur. Could have been, yeah. Yeah, so, and basically your, your hunger to be successful was that you wanted to make enough money that you can support yourself so you can get the medical outcomes that you need because there was such a shortfall in Australia for, for what you needed. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because one of the reasons why we went to the US is because I couldn't get, there's only a couple of specialists in the world that um, deal with my condition and one of them is located in Los Angeles um, but none of them are located in Australia. So as, as amazing as Australia's healthcare system is in comparison to the US, like it, it doesn't mean anything if there's no one there to treat you, right? Yeah, <laughs> so we, sure. We, all right, we're just going to have to, and everyone was saying, oh, but, you know, it's so unaffordable in the States. How are you going to afford healthcare? And it's like, well, we'll clearly just have to become super rich. So that's our job, right? <laughs> like that's the mission. <laughs> oh, you're on track for it now. Well, it's funny what kind of fuel that is when you, you know, to be successful. It just means that we don't have the option to not succeed. Like, it's just, it's not even on the agenda. We just keep going. If something doesn't work, we just find another way around it. And so packing up kind of overnight nearly in Australia and going overseas, uh, over to America, that's where you see the big opportunity with the market? Yeah, immediately. And it's not because Australia doesn't have the market there. I do think there's quite enormous demand in Australia at the moment for that kind of product. It's just that Australia is that size and the US is like that. So when you're talking venture backable, we just wanted to give the business the the biggest market opportunity that we could at the time, start there, start strong, and then ideally bring it back to Australia. And I suppose that's one thing for you, isn't it? That you're, in terms of building a, a global business as such, you're very mindful of the impacts of production and locally sourcing. So is that something that you'll always be manufacturing the product in those markets where you're selling? Yeah, exactly right. It's so tempting to sell it in Australia immediately just because we've, you know, we've got the distributors lined up, we've got the retailers ready to take it on, people harassing us on social media every day. <laughs> um, but it just, it doesn't feel right because why would we, you know, it, how can we... I guess, ethically create a brand that's all about sustainability, but then ship our product to literally the other side of the world and add on all of those environmental costs and the costs, the end costs to the consumer. Like it's completely not what we're about. So when we do launch in the Australian market, it will be because we build a second facility in Australia so that we can use local suppliers, local staff and yeah, bring it directly to people that way. And so will Australia naturally be kind of the next market you go for or would you go for that, the mass in, in Asia or, or over in Europe? No, the plan has always been to go straight to Australia just because that's our home as well. Um, it makes sense. That's where, and that's where the immediate demand is that we've already got, yeah, we've already got the traction there. So it makes sense to do it straight away. I can see a lot of demand coming from the Asia region right now. I think especially due to the COVID situation, people are very, very interested in, plant-based proteins and alternatives and local solutions um, just so that we don't have another 
absolute mess like we do now in, in the global supply chain. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, I think it's a lot more complex for us to break into a market like that using hemp seeds just because it's actually not, um, there's regulatory barriers to using that ingredient at the moment. So it's probably going to be a few years down the track. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And so as an economist as today, like the environment we're in today with COVID just baffle you in terms of the world's actually come to this standstill? <laughs> it's it's really interesting, is it? Because it's almost like it had to happen. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like the environment's just gone, you know what? You didn't listen to me. How much more bloody warnings <laughs> do you need? I, I set the whole country on fire for a bit. You know? Um, you didn't listen to that either. So it's it's kind of inevitable, isn't it? And I think everyone around the world is, it's extraordinary. Everyone is suddenly paying attention. And yeah, we've literally been stopped in our tracks, locked into our houses, having our toilet paper taken away from us. And that's what it's yeah. taken to rethink the food system and realise, oh, wow, like this is, there's something really wrong with this. It was so fragile. Um, so look, I, I find it extremely exciting, to be honest. Uh, yeah, so much will change on the other side of it, and I think it can only be for the better. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, isn't it? Like when we're looking at what's happening now, and the at the moment, Australia's talking about potential rice shortages, um, things that we've produced in exorbitant amounts in previous yeah. years. But um, you look at this supply chain and how many different linkages there are that need to operate together like we haven't built the logistics and warehousing to cape to cope with excessive demand and we don't have enough trucks on the road and yeah it's such such yeah. a short I'm, I'm only learning that through you know having my own company now understanding i guess all of those little pieces that need to fall into place to get a product you know from the supplier to the factory you know, and then, you know, onto the truck, finally into a, a supermarket. There's so many little links in that chain and it's so easy to fall down at any any one point. Uh, I think it's important that we educate consumers about that as well so that, you know, we don't have that situation of fear-mongering where people just see the shelf being empty and absolutely freak out. It's like, no, there is enough food. We just have a situation where it, we can't get it from A to B at the time that we need it, Right. And so for you guys with the cheeses, is it naturally going back through Sean's channel of, of restaurants? Or how did you guys get on with the capital raise there or did you park the restaurant idea and just go flat out with, with Grounded? Oh, we burnt the restaurant idea to the ground long ago. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> get rid done. Of bricks and, water. and And, hey, am, am I glad that we made that call when we did because we would be having a pretty rough time if we'd stayed in hospitality. I can't imagine what that would be like for, yeah, for restaurateurs all over the world at the moment and their staff. It's awful to think about. And so getting in touch with getting people to try your product, I suppose you go so far with the organic reach of what you guys have. What is the approach for getting out into the mass market with it? Well, originally we were going to go through all three channels all at once when we launched. So we were going to go direct to consumer, retail and food service all at once. But obviously that's all up in the air at the moment. We realised very, very quickly that, you know, restaurants were probably not going to be the best launch 
strategy for us. And then even with retailers, they're all putting their they're all putting stuff on hold. So retailers aren't even taking on new products at this point. They're just focusing on securing their existing supply channels. Uh, so the only thing that we could do that we had control over was to launch online pre-sales immediately. We figured, you know, even though we're not even in production yet, we won't be until June. Um, we need to just start getting it out there. We didn't want to sit around and wait for things to fix itself. Like, is that essentially crap? I don't know if it's equity crowdfunding, but is that crowdfunding? Yeah, is that the approach you guys have taken? It's almost like crowdfunding, yes, but we didn't want to do a crowdfunding campaign um, because they usually charge commissions on that. But also with crowdfunding, you typically don't actually provide the product unless you reach a certain quantifiable goal. Um, We'll be supplying our product, you know, rain, hail or shine, even if we have to make it by hand, we'll do it that way. Uh, But we figured it's, look, it's so important for us to stick to our, original production timelines because if we don't we risk you know losing the manufacturing facility just because they're a business as well they can't just put everything on hold waiting for us to get there Um, so this way it just meant that we can still continue with our fundraising round prove to investors that yes there is definitely a market for this product and we're validating it by the fact that we're selling it online to consumers immediately Um, and yeah it means that we can guarantee that it will still be there a few months from now on the other side of this situation and we won't just be left with the big dairy companies that could weather the storm. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's going to be such an interesting part, isn't it? Like who manages to keep their head above water to on the other yeah. side of this, like you were saying before, food is such an important part and so much attention has been brought to it that who can get out there. It's my big concern having, you know, coming from that startup background and doing accelerators, I get, really concerned for the other startup companies that I've been working with, knowing that like we're all in this same position together really early to the market, some of us fundraising. Like it's a really, really tricky time to be able to just make it through the next few months because if people don't support those companies now, they just won't exist and we won't have those innovative options on the other side of it. All we'll have is the big players that, you know, are not necessarily the best for our environment either. Yeah, no, economics comes down to it, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And how's the experience been with the difference between, I suppose, some of the Australian businesses that you worked alongside? Maybe not even the businesses, that's probably a bit granular, but the environment of, I suppose, startup culture in Australia compared to when you got overseas. Look, we always wanted to get over to the States to launch our business, and I hate... I. I have to say it, I'm not proud of it, but Australia does have a bit of a tall poppy syndrome happening. I think that it's a thing. We learnt that early on in the hospitality industry as well. Like as soon as you have big aspirational goals, people shit on you. (laughs) They're like, oh, they call you arrogant. You know, they think that you're full of yourself if you want to achieve big things. Um, And we just realised that if that's the case, we're probably better off in the States because over here, I think people are a lot more fake over here and, you know, probably artificially pump things up a lot more, but the the culture around startups is very, very positive and very enthusiastic. So it's like, it's more about like, Oh, Hey, you've got a company. We've got a company. Let's all be successful kind of thing rather than what you want to be, you know, one of the, you want to be the best cheese plant-based cheese company in the world. Screw you. (laughs) Which is kind of the sense that we got back in Australia. Um, I think that's going to change over time. 
but yeah if you're doing something that's a bit out of the ordinary i think in australia we can sometimes be a bit small-minded about it until we see that it's been validated in other parts of the world yeah and by that stage we've missed the boat <laughs> so what is the vision and mission of grounded we want to talk a bit more kind of at the ground level of what your business is about and how it's all coming together yeah we we just think that as i said before um the vegan cheeses that we've tried in the past didn't really hit the mark for us as non-vegan consumers and that's the market that we're trying to target everyday people that would you know flexitarian you might say um sometimes they eat dairy they'd rather you know not eat it all the time whether it be for health reasons for ethical reasons for environmental reasons um so it, you know it had to be a product that was that could stand up to cheese like cheese is freaking tasty i love it so so we're you know we've set some pretty pretty big <laughs> goals for ourselves by making something that lives up to that um, ideally, we'd become like the, the craft of plant-based cheese. We've got about 30 different recipes at the moment and Sean just plans to keep creating, keep creating, keep creating. So after we launch Grounded, we've got a second tier brand that we'll be launching as well, which is more aimed at Gen Z consumers. And it's a bit more, I guess, a bit more accessible, more affordable. It's things like little single serve cheeses. We're doing grab and go packs, baby bell style cheeses, that kind of thing. Um, dips and sauces, burger slices, that kind of thing. And we'll just keep innovating. And I think when we get, when we get sick of cheese, um, you know, ideally we'll sell it off to someone like Kraft <laughs> and then we'll start working on the next concept. We've got plenty more <laughs> up our sleeves. How are you guys targeting the consumers? Obviously with cheese and your products, it it looks like the real thing um, it obviously tastes it so how do you distinguish yourself from just being I suppose another pretty photo on Instagram of food uh, we, we very aggressively say this is not a vegan cheese because in our experience vegan cheese tastes like shit um, so, so we don't we're not branding ourselves as a vegan brand it's just another tasty food product um, if you like stuff that's better for your body better for the environment and is just really, really tasty, then Grounded is perfect product for you. I feel like this is an interrogation rather than a chat, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys um, going about your R&D? Trial and error, obviously, but then are you getting scientists involved? Like, what are you guys doing on that front? No, I, I'm very, very lucky that I've got Sean on my hands who is like, he's a genius with this stuff. No one knows how he comes up with these ideas. He's like a chef wizard. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand either. Um, CSIRO didn't understand how he'd come up with these recipes. Like, I don't know. I, as I said before, I think it's just the fact that he is not a food scientist. So he's come at it from a different thought process. And as a result, that leads to a product that's got, you know, different ingredients that have been done in the past, different processes that have ever been done in the past. Uh, so it, most of our recipes rely on a pretty traditional fermentation process using the whole cauliflower, leaves and all. Okay. Uh, and then it, that forms the base, that's like a proprietary process that we've got and that forms the basis of all of our products, like all 30 of them at the moment rely on that initial base. And then it's just a matter of different times, temperatures, and yeah, aging processes to make all of the different styles of cheese. 
And do they have um, like similar shelf life to cheeses as well? Yeah, they've got, so on average, about six months shelf life unopened. Uh, we're looking into making some of the sources shelf stable. Uh, and then, yeah, once opened, it's pretty similar to a standard cheese. I think it's actually slightly, we're still doing testing on it, but I think it's going to emerge to be slightly better than a dairy cheese just because it's vegetables. It's not actually dairy in there, so it's not undergoing the same kind of, yeah, exposure to bacteria and everything. Yeah, awesome. And um, the storytelling piece of it, are you guys big on, I suppose, building yourself into the brand as well or is it um, a story about the product as opposed to the people behind it? That's a hard question to answer. I don't think that we can help it. <laughs> yeah. Especially in social isolation at the moment. I think that you're going to see our social media account become slowly unravelled. <laughs> Are we going to send yeah. the dog on there? <laughs> or is the dog oh, already? already? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like it, we are, the brand is us. Like we, I think it's really important from a marketing perspective that you're just genuine about who you are, warts and all. Like I don't, I, one thing I really don't like seeing is just big faceless brands. Um, I, I've never liked watching, you know, brands with social media accounts run by external agencies and PR people and you can just sniff it from a mile off that it's, it's not them. I'd so much rather see the highs and the lows, the wins and the really ugly bad days, which I'm sure we all have. Um, and, and I think people, that's what people want to see as well, especially at a time like this. Like, it's such a nerve-wracking time. I'm sure people would like to know that they're not the only ones going through that. And having a laugh, like I think, like the brands that you can, you nearly feel like you know the people, even though you've never met them. That's when you know that they're really kind of true yeah, to what they are. Exactly. And for us, like we love being able to push the boundary and see what we can legally get away with before we get arrested. <laughs> so that's our marketing strategy. Like, what can we do before we get arrested? <laughs> well, that's it from us for another week. Thanks again for tuning in to Humans of Agriculture, Veronica's really really interesting you can find details on how to reach out to her in the show notes below next week we're catching up with Provenir Meats they're a mobile on-farm meat processing business that also deals directly to the consumer they've got an incredibly interesting story and we'll be chatting with one of their farmers and CEO as always you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook please reach out with any questions you've got we're really looking for more engagement right across the food system. And so any questions you've got or any people you reckon are worth speaking to, please reach out and get in touch. Look after yourselves and we look forward to chatting with you next week.